before we start i just want to thank each one of you for supporting me throughout the podcast i have been enjoying a lot and i hope the conversations that i have on the podcast they add value to your life and if you have any feedback please 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 write to me on uh, info@manikamra.com this conversation is with lady edwards who is one of the coolest persons i know probably the top 3 coolest persons and i know a lot of cool people uh in this conversation we talked about her personal journey of coming out as a lesbian uh we also talked about how to be a good ally common language mistakes people make towards the people of the lgbtq community uh we talked about what impact does social stigma have on a person and so many other things well i hope this conversation also adds value to your life and if you have any feedback again please write, write to me on my instagram at the rate manikamra podcast or info at the rate manikamra.com so let's get right to the conversation thank you one thing that where does the homophobia starts from so i was thinking that you know in the in, like the children they in like the representation of lgbtq mm-hmm. community in the books mm-hmm. of children it's almost zero and i think the language even that's used parents is equal to like mom and dad like a male character and then a female character so mm-hmm. i think you know all these small small things they do affect a lot because when you're young you have a very receptive mind and you know yeah. all the reading between the lines and all the subconscious things that get into your mind or you know the books that uh whatever the books feed you i think it also affects you as a person like you know you start seeing whatever books teach you as normal and everything else as uh, you know not normal what do you think no absolutely i mean i I was a big bookworm as a kid. I mean, I was always reading a book. Like for my okay. birthday, I would get like 10 Barnes and Noble. It was like a bookstore, gift cards. Like that was the only gift people got me because that's pretty much what they knew about me is I would always be reading a book. Okay. Uh, and only 6 months ago, I want to say maybe 4 months ago, I'm 26 years old. It was right. the first time I read a book with a queer character in it. Well, the first what time. book did you read? it's called uh Crier's War. It's like a fantasy book. It like had just it was just published in 2019, I think. Um okay. because I'll go to the topic of how a lot of at least in in US paperback culture, the culture was okay, you can have a queer character, but they can't mm-hmm. be happy in the end. Because if the queer character is happy in the end, that would condone what they're doing. So, you need to either kill them they need to break up with their girlfriend they need to get back with a husband okay um and they need to be unhappy in the end and so that that was happening in like the 40s and 50s and i think that kind of really set the stage for the way that queer people are portrayed um you'll see a lot in in media outside of books as well that queer people are portrayed um as villains as bad as immoral um mm-hmm. as unhappy mostly is like the main message i think is if if you are 
a queer person, you are going to be unhappy. Or, and it is wrong. It is wrong for you to be this. Because I remember being in second grade, knowing that I was gay, but at the same time, knowing that it was wrong. Okay, so then so I suppress myself for... Why, why, why did you think being a gay was wrong? Like, what, well, what, also... what made you feel that? What, 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 what Was it because of the people around? Like, how did that happen? Well, when we're talking about um, books not condoning or supporting um, queer people, I think the biggest book we can talk about is the Bible. Right. Because uh, it is technically a book. And I went to Catholic school my whole life. Okay. Um, from kindergarten onwards. Um, yeah. And, you know, when, when you're a kid, or at least when I was growing up in, in the 90s and early 2000s, like being, being gay or being a lesbian or being anything other than kind of what you're supposed to be was considered really weird, really wrong, um, something you could be made fun of for, something that did not go with the plan of my life, which was be a good, be a good girl, get good grades, be a good example for my younger siblings. Um, and so there was a lot of uh, social overtones with it, I think, like just the innate sense of I've always been kind of very emotionally or socially sensitive to things like knowing okay. that if I say something, I can tell if it makes people feel weird or uncomfortable or if they start to not like me because of it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that was because I was suppressed my whole life and I didn't want people to know that I was this other kind of person, meaning a lesbian. So I would be very sensitive to it. Um, and so like it was, it was just the sense that this is not okay. It's not okay. Mm. And this is not what good people do. So over the years, the sensitivity towards the, like, you know, your, your towards the people around you, has it changed or has it transited into something like, you know, have you become more observant now of, of your surroundings? How is it now? Because I, I let's say when you were in the second grade, you were what? seven eight years old or let's say 10 years old and then there's a like gap of 16 years so how has it been over the 16 years how has the sensitivity changed has it transited into something else now definitely I mean me being more comfortable with who I am and being not afraid to be who I am has made a really big difference mm -hmm. but really the main thing that um I, I didn't want to come out for a long time I didn't come out until I was 20 Okay. And even still, okay. like I knew I wanted to come out in the beginning of 2015 and I didn't end up coming out until like June or July. So I just mm -hmm. kind of like lived with that for like six or seven months. And I didn't want to come out for so long because I wasn't really afraid of like backlash from like people I didn't really know. I was most afraid that the people I loved, my friends and my family and the people I respected, I was most afraid that they were going to treat me differently once they knew this thing about myself. I, I was so afraid of that because like, I was like, are my roommates still going to give me a hug or are they going to feel weird about it? You know, are, are they going to treat me differently? Um, like, how is my life going to change when I make this decision to let myself be happy? And is it going to change in a way that could be worth it? Um, and so what I found out was that no one treated me differently. My friends still gave me hugs. Um, mm -hmm. I was just as loved as I was before. 
um, the main difference was I was a lot happier and I was a lot more okay. But I do remember in the early days of my coming out, I was still very nervous about it. Okay. Um, in my university, it was like a big thing for people to wear um, like rainbow pins kind mm -hmm. of on their on their backpacks and stuff. Not meaning that they were gay, but it was just like a support thing. I went to school in California, so it was a it was a thing. But I never wore one because I was really afraid that people were going to treat me differently or judge me based on that. Um, I think I've gotten a lot better with it, mostly because I've kind of um, not let myself care so much about what other people may think or treat me as, but mm -hmm. also because I know that it's most of the people I interact with, it's going to be okay. You know, the main part is my safety is not in question for the most part of my life. Cause I live in California. I live in a safe place. I live in a immediate surrounding society that will not discriminate against me 95% of the time. Right. I think if I live somewhere more different or if I was a person of color and queer, or if I was a, or if I was a black trans woman, for example, that would, okay. my thinking on that would be very different. So I think a lot of times my, my whiteness and my privilege in that I live in like a, a wealthy part of the United States, that that's why I don't think about it as much, um, which I'm really grateful for because it's a lot of mental stress to think about, but it's definitely a product of my privilege. Um, along with the learnings that I've had, but that's kind of second to to me being feeling safe. Absolutely, Lydia, and I really love your answer, especially because you acknowledge your privileges and you also told that you know if you were a a person of color or if you were a like you know black transgender, it, mm -hmm. things would have probably very different for you. And again, being white is a privilege. And again, thank you so much for acknowledging that, uh, Lydia. I want to ask, did it when you came out, did it also make people around you more sensitive towards you in terms of what language do they use or, uh, you know, did, did anything change even in, you know, something that we call uh, mm -hmm. like all the micro movements or I don't want to use the word microaggressions because that, that has a very different uh, connotation mm -hmm. to it, but all the small, small uh let's say the 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 reactions or like you know you're getting all the small activities towards you did anything change did people start getting more uh you know more conscious of what language they are using are they being inclusive of you or not uh-huh um i would say in the beginning it didn't really make a big difference because the people i was friends with mm -hmm. just didn't really talk about gay stuff regardless I mean, the biggest change was that I could make jokes about it. Um, I would say there's two sides of the changes I've, I've seen. Is the, the first is more recently, I've kind of been thinking about my gender identity a lot, and I've started using they pronouns in addition to she. So I'm using okay. she and they pronouns. So I've noticed mm -hmm. that people have become more sensitive about that and have like been asking me questions and have been very curious. And I've been a lot of people, like my girlfriend and people, have been trying to use like they pronouns in in. Uh, and, and she as well. So that's been very nice. Um, mm. But when I first came out, the, the biggest difference I saw, and it happened, and, and still happens to me to this day, is when uh, I'm talking to a straight guy. Um, okay. And now it's kind of obvious that I'm very gay. I have short hair, I dress a certain way. But when, early in my 
um, coming out, I could still present as straight. I had long hair, like, you know, the classic, I looked like mm -hmm. a straight girl. Um, but I, if I was talking to a, a guy and I mentioned something about a girlfriend, I just saw him immediately visibly relax. And it was so Ooh, interesting. Why did that happen? It was so, right? That was so interesting. And I, and I think about it a lot. And I think, and men have told me this before. I've literally had a guy been like, oh, who do you want to like hook up? It was at a conference. It was at an ISIC conference. Mm -hmm. And I think the guy was from Egypt. And we okay. were in a room and he was like, oh, you know, who do you want to hook up with? Who are you interested in? And I pointed across the room to my girlfriend and I was like, oh, don't worry, I'm covered. I've got her. And he was like, <laughs> oh my God. Yes, that's so awesome. And, I, and he just, his personality totally changed. And he was like, this is so great. Like, I don't have to pretend to be macho yes, or pretend yes, to be this yes. other person the around down, yes. Yeah. And it was so interesting <laughs> to me because it's like once men realize that like the woman they're talking to or the person they're talking to, they don't have to act a certain way to be seem attractive or to seem cool or macho in like a, a romantic way, their personality totally changes. Um, and that was, that's been the most interesting part of this to me is because it happens all the time to me. It still happens. Um, and I see, it's so easy for me to be friends with straight guys because they treat me like they would treat their guy friend and not a woman who they could potentially be in a romantic relationship with. Maybe it's because the first thing they see in a woman is a romantic attraction or something and that's the only way they can view them until they know that there's nothing there um but i don't know it's it's so and that's been the biggest like social change to me that i've seen um yeah mm, talking so you you know you're talking about the like the straight guy did not have to pretend like you know a cool macho man uh mm -hmm. talking about coolness is there any difference that you have seen after the rise of social media and after uh, i think it's especially in india in the let's say past one or two years the uh you know the, the conversations about lgbtq inclusion and mm -hmm. uh more and more people coming out they have increased a lot and that's because people have started feeling more safe on the internet but then there's uh i i i suppose a huge bunch of people who are being supportive just to be cool and probably they don't mean to be so supportive in in real life so have you as a person uh, as as a as a lesbian have you seen any change after the rise of you know more and more people coming out on social media and before social media even became popular was there any difference i mean definitely like from from a personal level like from person to person i've i've seen it but i've mostly seen it a lot in companies okay um trying to you know change their logo rainbow during pride month yes but then not doing anything else to support lgbtq communities otherwise or I you know there's a, there's a term for it i think it's called tokenism right yeah tokenism and, using and them as a token. yeah like treating them as a token and, and virtue signaling um, okay. which basically just means like oh i'm gonna signal that like this is great but that's all i'm gonna do <clears throat> um but yeah I definitely do see people um it's it's been kind of nice to see people become more uncomfortable in a way um if they want to say like oh I don't support this 
it's been really nice to see. I mean, people still do that regardless, and there's still a lot of, of problems with that. Um, but it has been kind of nice to see that people are now understanding that queer and um, LGBTQ people have always existed. They're everywhere. Like, I think people have been kind of seeing it as a trend as social media um, grows and like more people are coming out and being okay with being themselves. And as it becomes more, um, or I would say a less hostile environment for them. Um, so it's just, it's, I, to be honest, I actually just lost my train of thought. Um, Does this happen <laughs> to you a lot of times? Me losing my train of thought? Yes. yes. <laughs> why, why, why do you think that happens? Is it because, uh, like, is it, does it have something to do with your mindfulness? Probably, but usually when I, when I talk about things like this that I get really excited about, my brain automatically thinks of like four or five different things oh, that I want to say. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, man, which one, which one am I going to focus on? <laughs> Difficult to articulate all, all the thoughts into, yeah. you know, whatever you're saying. Like, yeah. And if I don't write it down, like I'm not going to remember, but I don't want to be like typing during our thing. I don't want to be tipping yeah, tapping. Happens, happens all the time. So. Well, let's start over. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so uh, about, we were talking about, you know, with the rise of social media, how the, and uh, after that we were talking about tokenism and how companies, they, and, and virtually virtue signaling as well. So tell me more about, you know, how the rise of social media has, impacted the way people uh, are being supportive of the community uh okay i'm gonna try and organize my thoughts two ways like i think people are realizing that being supportive is okay it's not gonna harm people you're not gonna seem weird if you support the gay community or the lgbtq community it's actually something that's very socially acceptable mm-hmm. um the second part is I think it's made a lot of LGBTQ people feel more safe in coming out because they see more people coming out. You know, they know that they're not the only one in the world who feels this way or who feel, they don't feel as, as alone, I think. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I think it's easier to come out in a, in a world where you don't feel as alone or more as an outcast or as a freak, but it's also nice to see, you know, like when celebrities support, uh, LGBTQ stuff like that's really awesome to see and it can make people feel uh, Vali- less I, I, I would say validated yeah exactly validated and when people in power or influence support a cause or a social justice it makes people who have less power and influence feel like oh maybe they should follow that lead you know, uh, adding to this, like the third point to this would be from a capitalist point of view, I think mm-hmm. companies figure out that it's better for their business and better for their PR right now to make their workplaces more inclusive. And I think that that also, is, is, we also see a lot of rise in the tokenism, but then people, you know, companies eventually realize their bottom line or you know their profits or even for this fact their revenue is going to increase if they uh, present themselves as a as a you know lgbtq supporting company or or you know whatever they do so i think that's also one of the reasons but eventually yes it has a lot of uh, advantages we have seen a lot of advantages uh, but i don't know how, like in long term how sustainable it is it, it is for a company to do this 
Yeah, I do think a lot of companies just kind of jump onto the to the gay train because <laughs> they realize, oh, we would lose more customers um, than gain if we if we don't. Um, so I very much agree with you there. Uh, I don't know how sustainable it is. That's a very interesting question. I mean, I think society as a whole is hopefully moving to a place where it's going to be okay. You know, maybe it's not going to be hard for someone to come out in the future. But I also do hope that a lot of these companies, um, this is a very idealistic uh, mindset. Yes, I'm gonna yes. very idealistic. Right um, but I do hope that a lot of these companies or um, governments or something start to have leaders in them that are queer themselves, mm. you know, that actually, because I don't think a lot of them do right now. I don't even think a lot of them have women leading them, you know? True. So it's like, I hope as we progress in society that a lot of these companies or institutions that have power start to actually be more inclusive in their leadership. And I mean, diversity, sure, but really be more inclusive in their leadership and, and have different thoughts and viewpoints that are respected and that are acted on. Um, I don't think that's going to happen for a while, unfortunately, or at least not for the majority of places. Um, but that that is my ideal future in terms of in terms of that. And I do hope that companies start to support things like this, like LGBTQ um, stuff or anything along the lines of like racial injustice things, not because they think it's gonna help their PR, but because they think mm -hmm. it's the right thing to do. Yeah, and I think, and I hope this happens, but I think there's going to be a snowball effect in a few years. Uh, obviously, so what happens, the trends that us has india sees those trends in you know like two three years later but i believe eventually there has to be like a snowball effect and there has to be a good compounding and uh eventually companies are going to realize that you know tokenism virtual sign virtue signaling all of these things are not sustainable and you know they need to choose leaders who actually think who actually do whatever mm -hmm. they like you know because it is the right thing to do not because it's it's going to probably give them more revenue or probably give them PR uh, but just changing the course of the conversation a bit Lydia I have a few personal questions would that be okay yeah totally so and I'm not you know don't want to put words into your mouth but did you feel empowered when you could totally embrace yourself as a person let's say let's if we go back to 2015 when you were 20 and when you came out uh did you feel empowered after saying it out loud or you know telling uh, people around you that you are a lesbian oh my god yes like it was it was really really amazing um especially because i came out in isaac Mm -hmm. in an organization that was already so supportive i don't think i would have ever come out actually if i had not been in isaac because okay. I would have never seen, um, I would have never seen or experienced a community that was so supportive or a community that had a lot of queer people in it. You know, right. Isaac, Isaac has a lot of LGBTQ people. Yes, um, yes. Or at least more than like an average group anywhere else. Um, and so I don't know if I would have ever felt supported and loved enough to have done it without Isaac. And because I came out on Isaac, people were so excited for me. So excited. I, I mean, not even close. I didn't, I didn't even have anything close to a negative reaction. It was always like, oh my God, that's amazing. So happy for you. 
Um, and even when I was MCP in 2018, um, part of my MC planning was I wanted to take my team to Pride, New York City Pride, the Pride okay. Parade that year. And because it was really important to me and my identity as a, as a, as a lesbian is really, really important. And I wanted to tell them how important it was to me and take them to this um, parade. And they were so excited, so supportive of me. We had an amazing time and it was just like, sometimes I get really emotional thinking about the Lydia in an alternate universe that was never in ISIC <laughs> and maybe, <laughs> you know, went with her plan of never coming out. Um, and that makes me so sad to think about because I, I was not really a person. I didn't really let myself be a person before I came out. You know, mm. it was, it was a lot of my life. I was sad and, and suppressed because I had felt so different and different in a way that wasn't allowed. Um, so I absolutely feel really empowered every time I, I talk about it. Every time I dress the way I want to dress, I cut off my hair recently. So empowering. Oh, I've been a huge fan of your haircut. So I've been following that since a long time, <laughs> since you were in MCV. You've probably seen many different hairstyles. It's, it's <laughs> I remember one of your MCVPs uh, shaved your one side of your hair and that was so cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I loved my half-shaved head. Um, yeah, but- when I think of you know Lydia in the alternate universe it makes me sad as well because you are I think the top three uh, coolest persons that I know and I'm very happy that we are in this we are in the same universe as of now thank you so much I am also thrilled we're here (laughs) right and uh, another thing that I wanted to again a personal question but how is the process of embracing this thing like you uh, you told me that you knew you got to know that you are a lesbian at the uh, when you were in the second standard but then mm-hmm. uh, you know when you eventually became an adult let's say uh, from the age of let's say 16 to 20 how is the process of embracing this thing like and when did you realize okay now i am ready for you know now i'm ready to come out and tell people shout out loud that I am a lesbian. So how did that happen? How is the process? Like, were there any, not that probably you cannot define that, but do you, were there any like milestones or something or something, you know, small, small achievements or anything like a roadmap or something? Every word you use to describe the coming out journey is exactly right. It is totally, for me, it was totally a process. 100% have little milestones scattered everywhere. Um, I still remember the first time I came out to one of my classes that I was in, mm-hmm. I had to do a presentation um, and I came out in it. And it was the first time I said I was gay to a group of people I had never met before. Um, and like, it, it's totally a process. I think what was hard for me to realize when I was younger and what I see the struggle in like queer people now when they come and talk to me and say, and say like thank you so much for like being yourself you're such an inspiration is like it is a process mm-hmm. and it's not like I when I was 20 and I met this girl that I really liked and wanted to be with it wasn't like I was suddenly shouting from the rooftops all right everybody here I am I'm a lesbian <laughs> I'm cutting off my hair I'm doing the things I want to do like it took me six years to cut off my hair yes the way yeah. I want to cut it off um mm-hmm. and it even when I decided like I had met her 
or I'd met her before, but we went to a conference together in February of 2015. And I was like, oh, that was the first time I admitted to myself I was I was gay. It was at an ISA conference. It was in a lead okay. session for LCPs. And, and uh, Vinny, who was the PAI, PAI at the time, was having us write on a piece of paper our fears, our deepest fear. Um, and mine, of course, was being myself, mm. was, my, was my biggest, biggest fear. And then at the end of the session, he told us, okay, now rip up the piece of paper and curse at it and throw it and rip it up and, and you're, you're more than your fear. And so everyone is like yelling and screaming and ripping up their papers. And I'm just like whispering in a corner. I'm gay, motherfucker. I like girls, motherfucker. I like ripping. <laughs> it was the first time I admitted to myself was in February. But then I didn't come out to anyone until like June. Okay. And the first person I came out to was my sister. Um, and then the second group of people I wanted to come out to were my roommates. Um, and I... Seeing people come out on TV is, is weird because like actually coming out to people in person for me was so hard. When I came out to my roommate, I said, hey, can we go on a walk? And she knew something was up. Okay. Um, so we okay. went on a walk and we walked for like a mile. I don't know how many kilometers that is. Sorry. We and walked for like around one, I think 1.7 or something. <laughs> yeah. We walked for like 30 minutes in silence because I just couldn't bring mm, myself to say anything. Make up your mind. Yeah. I, I knew I wanted to, but I didn't know how to start the conversation. I was so scared, you know, because I was like, is she going to treat me differently? Um, and so eventually I, we talked about it. Um, but then, you know, I was scared to come out. I was scared to present myself as, as a lesbian in my community. I was, I was really just always scared. I was worried. I was overthinking it maybe. Um, so it was really a process. And I, and I really can't overstate enough that without ISIC, I would have never felt not scared. Because um, then when I when I joined the MC in 2016 and decided to shave half of my head mm -hmm. and like live with my identity as a queer person, that was, I think, really a big turning point for me because I moved to New York City. I was like living in a place where I could be myself in right. a place in like life and experience. So like completely a, a journey a process a milestone um but what I don't want like young queer people to do is like see older people or even just people who are really comfortable with themselves and think like oh man like I need to be more like that I need to do this you know I need to just like be okay with it and, and just jump in and cut my hair off like no it's it is a process it's a journey and I, and I know I'm still going to have more milestones in the rest of my life with it so I'm happy with where I am and that's, yeah. I think, a big part of it. It's it's beautiful and a bit devastating at the same time because I just imagine the years when you know you were you were not probably feeling yourself and the years you know when you could not talk to people about yeah. who you were or actually even you could not talk to yourself of about who mm -hmm. you were as a person and you know what was your identity and I think I think about those times and it. It, it's really scary uh, but then again kudos to you and more power to you uh, because you know eventually that that was a process and you could come out and I'm sure you have come a long way and again I'm very excited for your future milestones as well Lydia I have a few questions that 
you know will, would also serve as a as some educational content for people who are listening this what are the most common verbal mistakes or even for this fact verbal or non verbal mistakes that people make for the people for for any person from the lgbtq community towards people from the community hmm. that is a good question also thank you for all the kind things you said before um i mean i would say a big thing that i see a lot is people in terms of pronoun usage um just like either not using the right pronouns or mm-hmm. saying things like oh i don't get this whole pronouns thing and I, I understand that they're saying it because maybe they don't, but I also understand that they have no idea how harmful that is to people whose pronouns are really important to them. Right. Um, when I was in San Luis Obispo, I volunteered to be a facilitator for um, a, a trans youth group. So mm-hmm. they were all trans kids. They, I emailed them like being like, Hey, I'm not trans, but I'm a facilitator. Could you use a lesbian? Like, <laughs> and they were like, yeah, come on. Through. Um, so I was like their friendly neighborhood lesbian. And I saw all these kids who were like 12 to 17 years old living the life that they wanted to live, which was oftentimes a transgender life or a non-binary life. And it was so amazing. And then so inspiring for me to see these young people deciding to do that, especially because one, they're so young and to, and to have that kind of confidence and, and, and in yourself and wanting to do this, but also because St. Louis Obispo is a pretty conservative place and it's mm-hmm. like being gay even is like not so copacetic, uh, but being transgender is like a whole different ball game. Um, and so I think when people say things like, oh, I don't get this whole pronouns thing. Like, first of all, it's genuinely not that difficult to understand if you wanted to. And second of all, maybe you don't have to understand. Maybe you just have to respect other people's decisions that they make for themselves. That's it, bottom line. Like, um, so that's something that I see that makes me angry a lot of the times is because when I would have these young kids talk in the group about being misgendered, you know, there's a person that uses, he uses he, him pronouns. And Mm. he's saying like, yeah, my dad still calls me his daughter, or my dad still uses my dead name, which is the name that they were given when they were born with, but not the name they would choose for themselves. Yes. Like I saw the effects it had on them. It's really, it's, it's horrible. I mean, we talk about devastation and like, and feeling not welcome in a place, or if we want to talk about maybe why is mental health such an issue in the LGBTQ community, it's probably because a lot of the times people don't realize that what they're doing is really undermining someone's existence in the world. Absolutely. Yes. So that, that for me, it, it, it affects the, you know, first, as you said, the existence of a person, it directly affects the, you know, self confidence, Mm -hmm. self esteem of a person. And I think the person not, I think, but I'm sure the person starts doubting their, existence first obviously but also doubting their existence as a human right because you know they don't get treated the way they want to be and uh no one believes or no one again treats them the way they want to be treated and i think it again obviously adds up to a lot of mental health issues and what you said is absolutely true 
Yeah, definitely. It's, it's like um, a combination of people not treating them the way they would like to be treated and mm -hmm. also being scared to ask for the way you'd like to be treated for fear of backlash or, or just make, making life harder, you know? Um, totally. Yeah, that's it. Have you, have you noticed any non-verbal mistake that a person commits? Because I, I, I think about this a lot, you know, the kind mm -hmm. of communication. There's obviously the verbal communication and a lot of times you can uh, pretend to be someone else, but, you know, then probably the non-verbal part of it gives it out. If you, mm -hmm. let's say, if you, let's say if a person is an ally, if they really are an ally, their non-verbal communication or their, their non-verbal language will probably give it out. So, uh, like, it, it was just a random question that I had in my mind. You know, if there's any non-verbal mistake that a person usually commits and they should not. I mean, definitely. I think, I do think, though, the root of anything non-verbal, like body language or an involuntary facial expression at the root of that is discomfort hmm. or um, like not approving of something you know like if, if, I, if I'm near someone and I talk about being gay and I see them shifting uncomfortably or making a face or doing something which granted doesn't really happen that often to me but it definitely has okay. I know that I know that they are uncomfortable being near me because I am a lesbian um, and I, because of what belief that they have that whispers in the back of their mind, like, that's not okay. She's not safe. Get away before other people think you're a lesbian too. Yes. So it's not so much a mistake as it is a way that people think maybe, um, it's a, maybe it's a mistake that they're, um, letting their body, let it affect their body language. But it's still, I think, a belief that people have that makes them react that way. And how does one become a good ally? Like, you know, what are the tips that you would give out to any person who, like, who wants to be your, I think everyone should be an ally. But then how does one become or what are the good tips that you would like to give to a person to, you know, who probably wants to be an ally? Definitely. This is, this is great. I think of my friends who are really good allies. Um, they laugh at my jokes when I joke about being gay, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes people are like uncomfortable, but like, I'll make a joke about uh, like, Oh, there's a closet. Can't go back in there. And people, <laughs> kind of, you know, and people are either like, uh -huh -huh, like kind of uncomfortable or they genuinely laugh because it's funny. And like, yeah, that means, it is that, funny. you know, it's funny. Has it happened? Like, do, do people laugh at your jokes? Oh, they freaking better. My jokes are great. <laughs> <laughs> that, honestly, that was the best part of coming out was being able to make jokes about it. Seriously. But do, you, like, do you also not notice uh, like visible confusion on the faces of people that if they should laugh or not? Has it happened <laughs> I to do you? Sometimes. I do sometimes. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I, being a good ally is really... I mean, be a good friend. That's it. I mean, learn about, learn about the communities that you don't know about. You know, people maybe get confused sometimes between different 
vocabulary where it's like, oh, what does cisgender mean? What does this mean? What does that mean? Yes. Like you have, it's really simple. It's just Google it and that'll be okay. Like, or if you don't understand something, know that asking someone a, a gay or a lesbian or a trans or a bi or a pansexual person that you know can be okay. You know, if you, if you ask it in a way that's nice. I, I have a lot of people come and ask me questions all the time. And I've learned to be kind of open about my personal life with people because I see that it is helpful for people to understand. True, true. Um, and that's okay with me. But I, I think a mistake that people who want to be allies make is because they don't understand something, they just kind of ignore it or or walk away from it because it's hard to understand or because like they don't want to they don't want to seem like they don't know it. And I will say like asking questions is okay, you know, but I think another big thing is uh, people often think like pride or different LGBTQ events are only for LGBTQ people. And I remember as a closeted person, not wanting to go to those events in case people thought I was gay, mm, you know, that and I think what allies can realize is if they go to these events and help celebrate and help make it big and amazing and not be worried about what other people might think of them, that that's really helpful. And that's really supportive. I have one of my best friends is straight as an arrow, marrying her high school sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Um, but she would help organize like the rainbow runs in Florida in remembrance of the Pulse shootings, the Pulse nightclub shootings. And she was like a big like person of that. She'll wear like um, pride clothes. She'll, I mean, she's not, she's not gay, but she knows that she wants to love and support people who are and her friends that are. And so she's not afraid to kind of put herself out there like that. And like, she is one of my favorite examples of an ally because she just, she is. And she makes jokes with me too, which is okay. <laughs> So don't be afraid to learn, to ask questions. Um, but most of all, don't be afraid uh, to love the people who are queer or LGBTQ or something because we are just people who like to love and have fun too. Absolutely. You know, the first part of your answer when you're talking about how people come up to you and uh, they ask various questions and then you're very open about your personal life because you think it helps. And this would be my last question to you, but I think this is going to be uh, again a chain of questions that you are going to tell me and then you are going to answer that because i think again it's a very for a person who is who is in a closet right now for that person it would be very difficult probably it would be very difficult for that person to uh you know get in touch with someone and uh ask questions that they have in their mind so what are the most uh, lydia most most common questions that people ask you and then if you can you know talk about a few questions and then if you can also answer them so that if there's someone who is listening to this conversation may not have or have not made up the mind uh, Mm -hmm. or you know maybe probably don't have that kind of strength right now to reach out to someone but still uh, get the kind of validation probably that they have been looking for and you know maybe get the answers that to the questions that they have been looking for totally yeah. I mean, I think the most common questions people ask me is like, when did you know you were gay? 
or most recently about my pronouns, like, oh, why are you using these pronouns? It's just mm. like very simple, like why questions. Um, or like, how can you tell when someone's gay? Or like, why do you dress this way? Um, just thing, things like that more, um, uh, maybe surface level sometimes. Mm. Um, but I do have people ask me about like, uh, maybe more complex things like, oh, like, well, how do you feel about transgender people playing sports? You know, it's like they want to know my opinion as as a, as a queer person, but um, and those questions are totally fine. I'm very happy to have conversations with them. I really enjoy talking about it because I remember, for me, when I was coming out or even when I was closeted, I I've never really been a person to ask for help. Oops, um, or uh, or talk about my feelings really. Like I was super pretty closed off. Vulnerability was very, it was very uncomfortable for me. So my process of coming out was extremely internalized. Um, and I'm not saying that's a good thing. It was actually really difficult and hard for my mental health specifically. Really, um, but it must have been very difficult. Yeah. I mean, I was mega depressed. Um, I was failing school. Yeah, it was, it was a really hard time in my life. Um, I was fired from my job because my job was to academically advise students and I was failing my classes. Oh. Um, so like this process of internalizing my coming out process was really, really detrimental um, to my mental health. And I wouldn't change it because I think it's made me the person I am today, uh, but I would not recommend it. <laughs> yeah, it, it has probably made you a lot tougher, but again like i think long in in a long term a person should seek out for help or some kind of assistance uh, I, that's what i think yeah and i think what i wish i had known um is that for most for most queer people for most lgbtq people um and for myself definitely is that every one of us remembers what it was like to come out and what mm-hmm. it was like to feel alone and what it was like to feel not supported. And because of that, we want to be the resource or the example or the 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 ears to listen to that we didn't have or that we did not seek out. You know, every time I talk to a, uh, a young LGBTQ person, I feel so happy that they trusted me with this and feel so privileged to see their experience and coming out but mostly so proud of them that they could have that strength for themselves to go and ask someone a question or ask for help because i mean i can't speak for the whole community but for me personally if someone comes up or messages me on instagram or something and it's like hey can i like ask you some questions mm-hmm. even if i don't know the person at all or if i've met them once i'm going to say yes absolutely you can talk to me about something ask me a question. I will, I'll be with you. And like, I'm not a therapist. I'm not here to be your guru and guide you in your life. But if you want to talk about something and you don't really know who else to talk to, like, I'll be there with you. Sounds good to me. Cause I know that not only maybe did I not really have a person like that, but I didn't have the strength or the comfortable comfortability with vulnerability to do that. Um, so I like those conversations. And I wish that every young person who is in the closet knows most of all that they're just, they're not alone. And if they let themselves be happy and give themselves a chance that it could turn out okay.
Absolutely. I think uh, even in, let's say, countries like India and Nepal, the upbringing, the kind of upbringing and the kind of society that there is, it makes it way more, uh, you know, difficult for a person to reach out for help. And again, I hope anyone who is listening to this conversation, it helps them or it, you know, gives them even a teeny bit of strength to first accept of who they are and then second reach out for any kind of assistance any kind of help or anything anyway Lydia thank you so much for your time do you have any closing note for anyone who's listening to the conversation um I'm proud of you like you go even if you're not a queer person I can be proud of you (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I guess I'll be proud of you even if you're um but like no, if you're no, not queer, say, then you need to be a good ally. Then you must be very proud of them. Yes, there we go. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. Um, no, I would say just to anyone, don't be too hard on yourself. And that's a lot easier said than done. Um, true, true. You, you, can't, you can't hate yourself into loving yourself. You can't hate yourself into being someone that you want to be. And you have to give yourself the same love you would give to anyone else. So uh, therapy is great. Good friends are wonderful. Um, be kind to yourself and uh, you'll be okay.